Hello and welcome to Puck University. I'm your host, Tim Williams, joining you from Quincy, Massachusetts, where I'm sitting here watching the weather heat up. But while the weather heats up, why don't we think about something nice and cool like hockey and ice and everything we miss about college hockey season. There are few people who miss it more than the college hockey regulars on Reddit, so this is the Puck University Reddit Special. Hello and welcome to Puck University. Hope you're having a wonderful off-season, getting all the hiking, golf, travel, letting the days go by in that you you'd like, or as Bill Watterson might say, all the nothing you want as well. And I am joined this week by a couple of hockey writers. We're going to go through a Reddit special. There is a great college hockey community on Reddit, reddit.com slash r slash college hockey. And it's a great place to follow the sport, especially if you've been off campus. So I'm joined this week by Zach Green of Pucks and Recreation. He writes about college hockey and especially about Penn State. I'm also joined by Lacria up in Burlington with the Vermont Cynic and the Vermont Hockey Blog. Thanks for both. Thanks to both of you for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. Now, I asked the College Hockey subreddit a couple of weeks ago what they'd like to hear in a podcast directly to them. So they've, they've offered a few topics, and I think the first place to go is the first place most college hockey fans go, and that's to expansion. If you had a whole bunch of money to just give out to three schools and start new programs somewhere, which three schools would it be? And we'll start with Lockria. Um, hmm. Haven't really thought about this. I think I would give at least one of them to a Big Ten school, Northwestern or Illinois, preferably, because, I mean, there's no college hockey in the state of Illinois right now. Um, I think a second would be for Syracuse on the men's side, because they have a women's and I think they would fit hockey better than really any of the names that have been thrown out lately. Um, and for a third one, I should have thought about this more. Um, I'd probably say another Western team, like how we have Arizona State now. Maybe maybe Arizona to have a rival. I don't know. But... Uh, Fair enough. I am kind of springing this on, on you both, and, and I'm glad you brought up the Big Ten, because I think it's it's only right that one of these three schools should be a Big Ten school. Whatever you think of their hockey conference, they need to add to it. Yeah, I think yeah. Northwestern would probably be the optimal solution, because, I mean, it's Chicago. It's a huge market, and it has no college hockey. And they did very well with the Frozen Four. The people who went gave it rave reviews for the atmosphere that was provided. Now, granted, Notre Dame made it, and they're very close by, so that added to it. But it would be nice to see Chicago get a program. I agree with you there. Zach, how about yourself? Adding three programs, if you could, if you could just plunk money down and give it to three programs and suddenly they can start hockey, who would it be? I think the first one for me would uh, be in the Big Ten. It would be Rutgers. I feel like that's, that's somewhere it's near enough to Philadelphia and New York that you could get more college hockey in that region itself. They have a good club team. They've had a club team forever, it feels like. And that would be a good place. It would help the Big Ten get out to eight members, which is really important for to get a well-balanced tournament. I like what Locke said about Syracuse. They already have the women's team, and – they shouldn't have any problem at all finding a uh, conference for themselves. And then the next one, I, I would say as much as another Big Ten team, I would say Iowa. I know they have an arena right nearby and right next to the campus. And all they need is the funding to get a program going. And I feel like that would be a great place to start up hockey again. Yeah, that Iowa would be a good place. It would give a 
although they wouldn't be a conference rival, kind of a natural rival to Nebraska-Omaha as well. That'd be an interesting game to kind of see a battle of the Midwest going on there, as well as them getting involved in the Big Ten, which has a whole bunch, of course, of existing rivalries from other sports, as well as hockey that can spill in. And I I think the first one I'd add to fill out the Big Ten, oddly, is Purdue because it would make a good natural rival for Notre Dame. And I I feel like Purdue's campus could get behind a hockey team very quickly because they do have a proud tradition in some other sports. But to put it gently, it's a tradition that's mostly based in history and in the past. They've been looking for a winner on their campus in a sport for a while, and certainly I think they could latch on to hockey after seeing how much Nashville has embraced the game on a pro level, I would love to see Vanderbilt in there. I know it's out of nowhere. I don't know what conference they'd go in, probably for now the Atlantic. But I would love to see Vanderbilt have hockey, especially because every announcer wanted to point out that the atmosphere at those Nashville games was kind of reminiscent of what we're used to in the college hockey world with the chanting and, and songs going on in the crowd that have become kind of a staple of the game. So I think they would embrace the atmosphere. And also, to Locke's point about going to give Arizona State a rival, how about UNLV? Since, after all, Las Vegas is about to enter the professional hockey world. And while that's not they're not right next door, that certainly would be a lot closer to Arizona State than any of the schools that currently have hockey. Their nearest rivals right now being Colorado College and Denver. Yeah, UNLV, I actually didn't think about that, which I should have because UVM just had... Do you remember at the start of last year when we cut two players? One of them just joined UNLV. And there's been talk that they might be in the process, but who knows, because so much of that goes on behind closed doors. Southern California would be a good place for a uh, team, too, to match up with Arizona State. That's where they had a bunch of good players come out of there recently, just making their entrance into the NHL now. It's really grab a hold of that with a team like a USC or someone like that jumping into college hockey. Yeah, they certainly have. And, of course, um, we've seen when the Kings get good, they can really embrace hockey in that area as well. So there are some people who grew up with it, who grew up watching the Kings, who, you know, they can, you can get to an ice arena if you're really determined. And unfortunately it takes a little more determination than we'd like to see in youth hockey. But there are people from all over the country in Southern California, like you said, is producing some real talent. So, so that's an excellent point as well. And I think that was a good place to start because really realignment's always on everyone's mind at this point in college sports. It's just become the order of the day. It might be good, it might be bad, whatever you think of it. That's just how things are going. The Big Ten is here to stay in college hockey, and that's thrown a wrench into the works for a lot of existing rivalries, and that's changed a lot of things. And with only 60 college hockey programs further realignment can only really come from expansion and adding programs because everything else is really rearranging what we have and it's not doing all that much. Obviously Hockey East is looking for another team now that Notre Dame has left the conference, but in terms of the overall landscape of college hockey, not a whole lot's going to change when Hockey East adds a team that's already in the New England area and has a history with those schools. It's really going to change through expansion. So switching gears for a moment, there is something unique to the college hockey world that that requires, especially now with the Olympic status up in the air for Team USA with the NHL not committing to the Olympics any longer, there's the the variation in rink size that there's no standard rink in college hockey adds an interesting wrinkle to the regular season for a lot of teams. Certainly in hockey East, they, you go to Lake wit as they call it with the Olympic sized rink and people have accused it of being a little wider than the dimensions suggest in, in New Hampshire. And 
and then rinks in between with the 200 by 90 rinks in Boston as well, between both BU and Northeastern having the same ice size that is not NHL standard. The question is, does do you think there's a significant home rink advantage when schools play on different sized ice? Absolutely. Uh, the biggest example I can see is uh, how Penn State has played at, um, at Minnesota. Whenever they travel there, and that's one of their only times out on the big ice every year, they give up shorthanded goals because they go point to point with the pass and you get picked off every single time and head the other way. One thing I would say about the Olympic-sized ice, too, because of the uncertainty now with the Olympics and where we're going to get our players for Team USA, these players have a lot of experience playing on Olympic-sized ice because at some of these schools they have those rinks, so they have to see them during the regular season when they visit, for example, New Hampshire or some of these other schools with the wide ice. So they're going to have more experience in that than a lot of the NHL players. And you see that in some of these Olympics where they'll try strategies that work a lot better on narrow ice because that's what they're used to. And it turns out that on in the international game, they don't work so well. So in a way, it might actually benefit that we might be looking to the college hockey ranks for some of these players. I still think it's more likely that the U.S. looks at European players and like players playing in Europe and stuff like that. But I, I, I can see the point of there is a home rink advantage. Like if you're playing on an Olympic size rink and maybe these other teams they're playing on NHL size rinks, slightly bigger. Um, but I think it's part of the charm of college hockey. You know, I don't know. One name that comes to mind for me for the Olympics is uh, Casey Middlestat. He's going to uh, Minnesota where they have the big ice. And he could be a college player to bring in. Yeah, that's a good point. With a lot of good freshmen coming into college hockey, while while I think they will be looking to Europe, they'll also look to a lot of these incoming freshmen who won't have too much experience on these wider rinks, but they'll have some, which as opposed to other levels, they don't really see it that often until suddenly they're playing on it. Of course, the European guys see it all the time. And I had the question that was put up also involves whether there should be a standard rink size. And I think we can all agree. I don't think we want that. Nah. Nah, that's one of the quirks of college hockey that you love. I think even in junior hockey, I think Belleville used to have an Olympic sized rink. So it's, it's not like it's unheard of even outside of college hockey in North American hockey to have different ice sizes in the same league. And of course, there's the junior national team and all that as well that adds a lot of experience on those ranks, as, as well as playing against international competition, which is not just a matter of rank size, of course. One thing that's a, that appeared when, when I asked the question to Reddit what they wanted to hear on a, a special where you can't ask college hockey fans on the internet much of anything before they start making jokes about the Big Ten. And rather than taking it into just making jokes about the Big Ten, I'd like to create a sort of hypothetical, and I hope this does justice to both the Big Ten and to people who don't like it. If for some reason that conference had to disband, where would the teams go? Not, or ideally, not where the, would the teams logically go, because that I think we can all figure that out geographically, but where would you want the teams to go if there were no more Big Ten? And we'll start with the Big Ten writer himself, Zach. Well, what would happen? I mean, aside from people that make too much fun of the Big Ten rejoicing, what would happen in your mind if the Big Ten had to go? I think you'd see the majority of the teams would head off the NCAC, but uh, Penn State, I think, would. Maybe land in the hockey because that makes much more sense uh, geographically for them to there, especially if they still need another team to join. Well, that's now that Notre Dame's left the conference, Hockey East does want that 12th team, but it's unclear where that would come from. Penn State would be an interesting addition. They'd be a little bit geographically removed, but not nearly as much as Notre Dame was. 
and the size of Penn State, there are Penn State alumni everywhere. So, you know, I, I know a few of them here in the Boston area. They'd be more than willing to show up if the Nittany Lions played at Aganis Arena and Matthews and Connie Forum every year. Yeah, I remember they uh, when they played Michigan at Madison Square Garden, there was a good fifteen to 17,000 people showed up for that game. And that's, you know, four or five hour drive from Penn State. Then again, pretty much everything is a four or five hour drive from State College. Yeah, it's pretty true. Pittsburgh's probably the closest. Literally, I mean, they call it Center County for a reason. Yeah, the geographic center of Pennsylvania is actually like two miles north of the campus itself. So, yeah, I think you'd be right though that most teams would go to the NCHC, and then it would be a matter of finding a home for Penn State and possibly for Notre Dame. But again, Notre Dame has history with hockey, so they might try and get back. They would, you know, in that hypothetical, probably try and get back into that conference because that's one of the largest conferences going, but they could fit very well into the NCHC as well. And like I said, I really like your hypothetical that in, in that case, maybe Penn State going to Hockey East, because I just, it, the chaos that would create is just hilarious to imagine. Whether, you know, whether you actually would want it or not, it's just fun to imagine. It also would make a little more sense with the, the AAC, or what's it called, the ACC or the AAC, the, um, the academic part of it. It fits in with Boston College especially well there. Yeah, there's there are some some very there are some schools that actually it goes the other way as well. When people suggest who could possibly move in to fill out the Big Ten, they'll bring any school that's in that AAC kind of. Um, I think it's called the AAC. I think you're right on that. Any school that's in that group, because that's part of the eligibility for being in the Big Ten as a conference, period. So that that's where everyone looks. So it's funny to look at it the other way of where would a school go given that as well. That's a good point. Hi, folks. Let me take a quick break to preview what's coming up this week on SportstalkFlorida.com. You can read my U.S. Open recap column up there today. It's about how Brooks Kepka headlines a young field of fantastic golfers that the PGA is going to love for years to come. Listen to the pickup game coming up tomorrow afternoon. We're going to talk about the NBA draft and that crazy Celtics Sixers trade and what it might mean for the rest of the week. That and more from SportsTalkFlorida.com. It's hard to talk about college hockey this offseason and not bring up what happened at North Dakota with the women's program and how abruptly, whether whether it seemed inevitable by budget cuts or not, how abruptly the the end of the North Dakota women's program came. I I don't think anyone was expecting it to happen the way it happened. And I don't know if there's anything positive to take out of the way it happened. It it was pretty brutal the way the news came down and how we all found out about the same time the team did. The the way North Dakota handled that was just inexcusable. Like, it's one thing to cut the program. Like, it sucks, but I get why they did it. But just to to have the team find out at the same time as the general public, especially when you have multiple players who came in ocean, across the Atlantic Ocean just to play hockey, that's just, especially so soon after the U.S. women's team did what they did, we can talk all day about the budget cuts, you know, kind of losing a lot of money. I can kind of see that, but just handle it in a better way because it seems like every time I read something new about that story, it just makes North Dakota look worse. Yeah, I'd agree that it it's really in the handling of the story so far, that it wasn't that the budget cuts were there that's that's a matter for for really for the books we will know that when we see it, it's a public institution that suffered budget cuts we know the budget cuts are there and if we all know the budget cuts are there this should have been a little more out in front so i i certainly agree with Lockria there that this is this is this was handled 
for lack of a better word, pathetically. And it, it really, it hurt the players more than anything else. And that brings up the question, what happens now to these players? Because North Dakota was not just any women's program. They were, they were on the verge of breaking into that group of the, you know, blue bloods of women's college hockey. And the thing is, in October, the North Dakota president had said UND was committed to keeping women's hockey. Now, all of a sudden, it's May and women's hockey is being cut. So something either drastically changed or is just flat out lying in October. One question I have about the whole thing, and I'm not sure we have an answer to that, is while this news came down, there was a player from Massachusetts that was on a recruiting visit to North Dakota while the, this decision had been made. You only get so many recruiting visits as a player. Does that does she get that one back? I don't know. I mean, that was bizarre in itself. In a just like, that world, was the craziest probably, thing about it. Go in ahead. a just world, they probably would give it back to her, but this is the NCAA where the rules are incredibly arbitrary. So I don't know. Yeah, that that's a fair point. The NCAA tends to not always be the most player friendly organization when it comes to decisions like this. And, and that's, that's part of the shame of it is that we, we knew when this happened that it caused so much chaos to the players and they don't necessarily have all the help they need coming back from, from any organization right now, as they look to find new programs to play for. And some of them have, and some of them are still looking and, you know, some of them, this, kind of ended their career in hockey as anything but a hobby because they didn't intend on going pro to begin with. There's not much in the way of professional hockey to be had. And they were only playing to for the love of the game and because that's what got them their scholarship in some cases. And this ended their hockey careers. And Twitter had to tell these players that they were done. So we talked earlier about adding programs. And shifting gears on a similar topic to adding programs, when we talk about that, there's a lot of money involved. So really the programs that are going to come into college hockey are likely the larger athletic programs that happen to have large deposits of money from, say, football or even in some cases basketball. And... This is a point of contention for college hockey because for so long it was kind of the independent cult movie to college football's big budget, you know, superhero blockbuster that had its own following and it was only these teams that most of them, this is the only sport that they're particularly relevant in. And then of course you have Michigan and Minnesota that have been there all this time, but for the most part, it's kind of its own world, and now these larger schools moving in, it does change things a little bit, and I'd like to hear thoughts on it from, well, two kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. Burlington, Vermont, and State College, they're alike in a lot of ways when you drive through the towns, but they're they are not alike in this particular sense. Lockria, we can start with you. I kind of do like where college hockey kind of is right now, where it's not... It's not so big that it loses its soul and becomes all overly corporate and stuff like that. But it's not so small that it's like obscure, like trying to talk women's lacrosse or something. No offense meant to women's lacrosse, I'm just saying. Not particularly a popular sport. I think it's mostly really only out west where any much of anything's changing. Like, because in the east, I mean, the ECAC remained the exact same throughout the realignment. The only change to Atlantic was they lost UConn. So I don't know. I, th I think a more Western fan, like at one of the smaller Western schools, would probably have better input than I would because my team really hasn't been affected all that much. But I like where college hockey is right now. And that's a fair point that in the Northeast, we're kind of insulated by it. That hockey East it seems unlikely that any of this encroachment by these large schools and these larger conferences could possibly affect what the ECAC has or what Hockey East has or what the Atlantic, the schools that they have and the tradition they have. It, it's hard to believe that because there's just not a lot of traction, say, 
I, I can't, you know, for hockey East to break up, the ACC would basically need to become a hockey conference, and that seems nearly impossible to me. So it does seem like they're kind of insulated, and we hear a lot more, well, lamenting what used to be and what used to be very great from the Western programs that had this conference that was, you know, the WCHA used to be a lot bigger than it is now and have a lot bigger schools and have these great traditions and these great rivalries and it doesn't exist anymore. And so I, I think you're absolutely right about that, that a lot of the pushback to this is coming from out West and to a degree, you can understand where all the pushback is coming from. These are rivalries that everyone went to school with that they were used to and now they're gone. And a lot of these schools are left in conferences where even when you finish on top, you're making a cameo at best in the in the NCAA tournament. And that's not a reality they want to accept. And that that can be really difficult. But if college hockey wants to keep being part of the professional development process and a bigger and bigger part of it as it is now, now they have as much NHL caliber talent as ever and more and more college hockey players succeeding in the NHL as we saw with the Penguins who set a record for most former college players to lift the Stanley Cup this year. If they want that, we need some bigger schools. We need the attention that they bring and I know that can be uncomfortable for a lot of people and I certainly understand why. But that's where the sport's going, and we like a lot of the benefits we're seeing from it, like the influx of talent, and if there was a way to share the wealth, I'm sure we could find, and who knows if they ever find it, but it is it is a nice rising tide, and to a degree, it can lift all boats if if enough of these schools get involved, but it's I can understand the, the schools out west that are that are having their issue. And of course, Zach, you're on the other end of this where all Penn state did was start playing hockey. Let's just remember that the only thing they've really done this entire time is play hockey. I feel like a lot of the pushback that was from smaller schools that, that like college hockey being a small little thing that they can be a huge player. in. You know, take for example, a, a I don't know, any smaller school like Western Michigan or someone like that where they can battle with the big teams every year if they get the right players that are overage and things of that nature. Whereas the worry with them is that if bigger schools get involved, the NCAA is going to take more attention to it and try and make it more regulated how, you know, for example, football or basketball is in terms of the age limit, which will really hurt them in a recruiting sense and competitive nature. Ideally, I'd like to see it where college hockey does grow more and we get bigger schools involved and it gets a bigger stage nationally how we saw with the crowd in Nashville and how well everyone's hooked to that if we can get to there and still maintain the competitiveness where you can see a Michigan Tech go up against you know a big school like a Michigan for example I know they do play in in the Great Lakes every year but on a national scale seeing a small school like that go up against one of you know the big famous schools from football and it being a competitive game would be excellent for TV. Absolutely. And an idea that was floated in this Reddit thread where I'm getting all these topics is what if we could increase the amount of out-of-conference games every team plays per season and make sure that every team plays someone from each individual conference, even if it's just one team from each conference? that they get to sample the entire, because that gives everyone a chance to play the big schools and it gives the big schools a chance to play the small schools. Because I think while we're on that subject, we can all think of one school that really wants to see Penn state come to their barn. <laughs> Just a little bit. A tiny bit. I think it'd be great to see something like that happen. You know, especially if it was, say, at at Michigan Tech, because regardless of where the game is, Penn State is a huge alumni base. They're going to travel. And seeing kind of the culture clash there between, you know, the big school going to the tiny, going to the, not tiny school, but a smaller school's arena, 
that's up on, I believe, Mission Tech in the Upper Peninsula. Am I wrong with that? You're right. It's in Houghton. In any event, seeing just fans going there and, you know, you've got Penn State where a lot of their graduates are in big cities and things like that. Traveling to a small place like that, that's really in the middle of nowhere for a hockey game that where there's already some animosity between the two fan bases itself, or at least one fan in particular, that <laughs> it could create a great atmosphere. We might be talking about one fan in particular, but but let's face it, Penn State also has enough detractors that they're selling shirts to the contrary, like ruining college hockey since whenever. So so there are, there are a few people that have a bone to pick with Penn State. And you know what? I can be fine with the opposite being true because, again, all Penn State, for their part, has done has pick up the game and go and attend college hockey games and make noise and have fun playing and have fun being part of it. So I can understand them also getting sick of this backlash and saying, now, wait a second, what did we do again? So so I like that there's kind of a rivalry between Penn State and everybody else that's starting to form. And I I like the idea of them and some of these other schools, the well-known you know, hockey powers kind of sharing, going all over the country, playing all these schools, occasionally having an away game at a Robert Morris or at a, who, you know, there's an in-state rival for Penn State or having a BU go out to play some of these schools or something. And that does happen to a degree, but it usually happens between the powerhouses. It's not like people going and visiting the WCHA schools that, again, you used to see them all the time because that used to be the major conference out west. To your point about having Robert Morris, for example, be a sort of an example of rival, that's going to be a tough sell at Penn State because, you know, there are 20,000 students here that come from the eastern half of the state. The majority of them don't even know that Robert Morris is a university. Maybe outside of the NCAA tournament in basketball. You know, it, it's a tough thing where you'd like to see someone that, if they could have been like, Pittsburgh school instead of Pitt, yeah, you get a huge rivalry going there. But there's already one in place with a different school in the area. And I also feel that winning Penn State success early on has definitely made some people not big fans of them. Because look at their schedule. They have had very easy schedules out of conference with the sole purpose of making the NCAA tournament. And it's kind of rubbing people the wrong way. The fact there are ones, there are they were number one in the nation for a week this year, just as a five-year-old program. Well, and to, on top of that, they have a style of play that's kind of new to college hockey as well, that people look at Penn State's scores. And even if you're not watching the games, you see the scores coming out of State College, and it baffles you. That's got to get out. They're like baseball. Yeah, they are like guy. Its whole strategy is just to throw the puck at the net as many times as possible, and it we can come back to biting the butt when they play against you know the team's elite goaltending because a lot of their chances they won't get the rebound chances they like to pounce on. But I feel like a guy like Jagodowski is a perfect hire for Penn State because they play an exciting brand of hockey which helps grow the interest in it, and seeing them on a bigger stage will help other people get interested in the sport too if it comes super like high octane offense everywhere i like to describe it as the nhl 94 offense (laughs) (laughs) another thing with this idea of playing every team in every conference is i do think that could also help with teams having potentially like two easy schedules like i look at a lot of the big 10 teams and their out of conference schedules and a lot of them were kind of weak like Penn State's was definitely weak but they won the tournament so it was a moot point Ohio State's was fairly weak like I think they played Denver but other than that it was fairly weak what Ohio State Ohio State played BC or BU I believe in the past year or two down in Florida they beat them that might have been the year before last I don't remember but um regardless it would still you know, maybe instead of like another another cupcake from Atlantic hockey that's just there to be a sacrificial lamb, you're playing you know 
even a lower level hockey Eastern TH school would be much more competitive. But at the same time, you like those lower level Atlantic hockey WTHA teams, they wouldn't, you know, they don't get as much money. And that's always what happens, what wins in the end. That's one of the money is the big issue there because the Big Ten schools, they run sports as a profitable thing. For example, you see with in the football schedules, they'll get these two for one series where they'll get two home games every one away game with smaller schools. Whereas in hockey, they won't get that kind of an agreement unless the school really needs the money, which is where they go to the really, you know, the cupcake. That's where that works. They want to bring in a team that's big so they can get the money. Yeah, and it's a practice. I I also think it scared a lot of people to see those those Big Ten schedules because it's a practice that we're used to in college football, that big schools, and at one point, although they've changed their ways in this regard, Penn State's football program in particular used to have a reputation for their early season games being against the most nothing nobodies they could find and we see it on a lot of schedules now and it's starting to catch on in college hockey by the way i don't know if anyone's seen northeastern's early schedule but um i think they might have seen a combination of both penn state's success and their own early season stumbles in the past and decided they want some of that because they are their early season schedule does not look intimidating at all they're playing a lot of Atlantic teams they're playing a lot of lower conference teams and hoping they can get out to a good start so I think to the point that people might be worrying about this and might want something to balance schedules a little better I can see that because I've seen it myself I can see schools that are starting to take that lesson to heart and that could lead to a November and early December that are almost unwatchable, and that would hurt college hockey. Yeah, because who wants to go? Who wants to watch blowouts? I mean, it was the biggest complaint about the NBA playoffs, and I think it would hurt a smaller sport like college hockey a hell of a lot more than it would hurt, you know, the biggest basketball league on the planet. Like if it it's your it. team that's doing the blowing out, then I mean, I guess. You know, you enjoy watching your team win, but at the same time, like, what neutral is going to care? That that would hurt, like, that would hurt on TV and stuff. Uh, that watching Penn State, you know, they struggled to, like, a, a single-digit win season early on. Last year was a lot of fun to watch. You know, it didn't matter yeah. who they were playing. The fact that they were scoring seven goals a night, you know, it, it looks really cool. Yeah, and having watched a whole lot of early season stumbles in the past, I, I'm i not sure I'm really complaining that Northeastern's schedule looks pretty easy early on, given how bad they've been in November the last couple of years and how much that set their season back. It would be nice to enter the middle of December with more than one win on their schedule. But it does make me wonder when you've got, well... Penn State was ranked number one at one point, and nobody took that ranking particularly seriously. And I know that after the new year, we start looking at the pairwise pretty quickly and taking the weekly rankings and just kind of throwing them out anyway. When the rankings don't mean anything in November or December, that's a problem. And like I said, it happens to a degree in football with some of the cupcakes, some of these schools schedule, and... It's happening in college hockey to a degree too. And if we keep, if schools keep adding these early cupcake schedules, we're going to get to December's where the teams that are leading every conference end up not making the NCAA tournament. And that could be, you know, that will be a problem for the long term because while television hasn't been big for college hockey yet, they certainly want it to be. They've been moving toward television for a while. They have nationally broadcast games in Canada now. Oddly enough, they have fewer and fewer nationally broadcast in the U.S. every year. But they they want that big contract. They want the big television money. And you're not going to get that if there aren't a lot of intriguing games until about the end of January. Ohio State might be building a new hockey facility. And we've we've mentioned the big schools and the money, and money wins out. 
but hockey only facilities are at a larger school. That's a sign that things are moving forward for college hockey. So I think we can put a bow on all this big school talk with a final question around the around the horn as it were. Do you think that college hockey is headed in the right direction? Do you think the future is bright for college hockey or do you think that maybe we're approaching a plateau of sorts? And we'll start with Zach in State College. I do think that it's heading in the right direction, but there is a ceiling to college hockey. Yeah, I don't think it's ever going to be, you know, the, the stature compared with, you know, college football and the NFL being almost equal. Whereas I don't think college hockey is going to play each other like the NHL. However, with a school like Ohio State, which hasn't had great success, you know, in the most recent years, putting forward the money to make a hockey-only arena. It's a huge step forward because the old place they played at, there's was, there was a multi-purpose big arena. It just felt cavernous during the game. And seeing bigger schools putting more and more money into college hockey can only help, the per, can only help their program grow. And other schools, other big schools, that take notice of, you know, oh, everyone's making money doing this. You know, time for us to get involved as well. Yeah, I agree that the future is bright. I think it's really good for Ohio State that they're building that new arena because, I mean, where they're playing is way too big for the interest in hockey that's there. Yeah, I think it's going in the right direction. I mean, yeah, there is a ceiling. It's not quite as high as football or basketball, especially because hockey is a fairly niche sport. Like, it's not it's never going to be as big as basketball or football, but that's okay. I think I can add to that point that if you take all the places that do love hockey in America and you look at where the college hockey programs are, there are still some places where they can expand if the right school got in or if they got a partnership with this or that or if things changed that you know, there's never been a Frozen Four in... It, they're closing Joe Louis Arena. They never hosted the Frozen Four. Not once. Hockey Town. You know, I know Ann Arbor's not that far, and there are plenty of Michigan fans there, but Detroit seems like it's off the college hockey landscape, and that's odd to me. And then you have Chicago. As you mentioned, there are no schools in Illinois that have hockey programs. UIC had one long ago, but it's been about 25 years since they played hockey and much longer than that since they were relevant in it. So there's a lot of expansion to still be done. Southern California could use a hockey team. Nashville could, you know, Vanderbilt would have a fan base if they could somehow get the money together. USF down in Tampa could have a fan base as well as the lightning have been supported over the years. They could play. And there have been the occasional college hockey player from Florida. Not too long ago, Northeastern had a goalie from Tampa. So there are places that love hockey. So you were saying something? Oh, you, I, I, you do mention Southern California. And I think a lot of people don't remember that they did once have a college hockey team, U.S. International in San Diego, and they were actually a fairly competitive team. Like, I, I think they beat North Dakota at the old Ralph. So, um, you know, it's been there. There's a history there. Why is it? Why is there nothing there now? Well, other than the fact that the university that had hockey went bankrupt. You know, I I I throw in a hat for West Virginia as well. Morgantown's like an hour hour and a half away from Pittsburgh. That'd be a major university. Having a hockey team that close to Pittsburgh would be a big thing for them. Yeah, Pittsburgh very much loves hockey and. Robert Morris isn't big enough to support, you know, Pittsburgh's love for hockey. So, and Pitt itself would be another good one as well as, you know, Penn state is pretty far removed from the Eastern side of Pennsylvania. You could also see a temple or a Penn because so many Ivy league schools succeed at hockey or even moving North a little bit of Lehigh or a Lafayette could succeed as they're about to put a couple of NCAA first rounds in the Lehigh Valley, so they might be trying to make an overture to one of those schools or both. 
that would definitely be an interesting shout because of how well the Phantoms have been supported in addition to Penn State's fan base. Like, there's a, there's a lot of interest in hockey in Eastern Pennsylvania. Well, and they're in a sort of sporting no-man's land where they're almost dead center between New York and Philadelphia. So any chance to have local rivals and take a shot at the big cities near you, which I guess New York and Philly wouldn't help for college hockey. They don't have teams, but Penn State is this giant school that, you know, they've had headlines in that, in the paper down there. I've been to the Lehigh Valley plenty of times and if Penn State sneezes, it's a headline in on the Morning Calls website and on their newspaper. So that's the kind of the kind of thing that can help drive it. Because one thing that college hockey has, and whether it has bigger schools or smaller schools, it will always have unique rivalries that don't really exist that well in other sports. Sure, it will have Penn State and their football rivals and Ohio State, Michigan. But there are some things that really only happen in college hockey, and I think that's part of the allure of college hockey. So it's really just in part when we try and think of where college hockey can go, my mind always runs to how do we get unique local rivals for some of these big schools and bring them to the party instead of having them try and shift everything. I think the, you know, I think Penn State's enjoying college hockey as it is. Why do they need to change it? And I think one thing you also have to look for, like, for the future of college hockey is the million lawsuits against the CHL. That could be a thing with talent coming, you know, choosing to do college instead of the CHL. Like, I don't know. Well, hypothetically, would you be interested in bringing in the Canadian uh, colleges into the NCAA for hockey only? Or to at least have some kind of event every year, almost akin to some of the college hockey regular season tournaments, but more of an exhibition. I know some schools do that early on in the year. They'll invite Canadian schools in, but that that's usually for preseason sort of games. It would be nice to see... Yes, is the Canadian exhibitions, because last year they were just a mess. Like, I think there were like three or four games where there were brawls and like over 200 counting and that's well maybe not 200 but 100 a lot for college hockey at any rate that's the first thing that new college hockey fans say to me every time is i always expect there's going to be more fighting like like the like hockey's like it is in the video games where that's really what people come to see come on So wrapping up, I think there was an excellent question posed right when I first asked about what people would want to hear on this podcast. That We're all writers about college hockey. We all cover the actual sport as, as media. So what do we think, and I'll you know, leave this to each of you, about the difference between when you're presenting your your information on your blog or on your website versus when you're versus the things you find out not just the fans you know going back and forth and having their fun but the actual information that can be disseminated from a reddit thread and from from really the internet in general because well we're all in journalism and we know where it's going where we can all be slaves to twitter if we if we let it and i i suppose we can start with lacria on that yeah, it's definitely different going from, like, discussion or just, like, my blog to, like, when I'm writing for the paper. Especially because, like, when I'm writing for the paper, I basically have to stay on bias, whereas, like, if I'm in a discussion or I'm writing for my blog, I can pretty much do whatever I want. It was funny on my end because I started this podcast in part because... I've been on that subreddit and I know that there's an audience for it. So a lot of it was inspired by knowing that there's something for them in this. So I, I, I look at that and when you post something there, you have your flair next to it. So everyone sees what team you support. And I went to Northeastern and it's impossible for me to hide that. 
So when I write, when I do this podcast, when I do anything, I have to know that everyone listening to this pretty much knows going in who I root for when I'm watching the games, whether I'm you know in the press box and doing so inside my own head or if I'm in my living room and doing so loudly. And that that influences how I cover the game as well, that the people reading this already know that. So as much as I need to be objective, I also have to admit that objectivity is usually a goal we strive for, not one we always achieve. Yeah, I, I was just saying, like, objectivity is very hard to achieve, especially if it's after, like, we had a game against Merrimack this year where we had, I think, three goals get reviewed and they all went against us. So, like, being objective after a game like that, which we wound up losing by one goal, like, that kind of, like, you have to try not to let your emotions get the best of you in your writing. Oh, oh absolutely. absolutely. That, that's, that's a, a tough, tough line to toe, especially, especially when you know that you can't be completely objective, but you have to be as fair as you can possibly be. And you have to go back and kind of think about the moments you're going to write about. And I can write this with a little bit of with that subjective tone, but am I being fair to what actually happened? Am I presenting events as they actually happened, whether whether I'm doing so with a tone or not. And that that's a difficult line to tell. Zach, how about yourself? I feel like it's so tough to get information out in terms of college hockey-wise because the main way that, you know, in every other sport you go through is you build a Twitter presence with, you know, interesting facts, things of that nature. Whereas it's so tough to find that for college hockey on Twitter, people that actually will tweet about it consistently and think like, I'm guilty of this myself. You know, right now college hockey is an off season. I'm, I'm solely focused on, you know, the NBA draft coming up. That's something that I love to study. But when it comes time for the season, actually focusing, getting down, tweeting out everything about that, it can be so tough to get noticed in the sport specifically that you go somewhere like Reddit and it can only get you so far, and your writing will only reach that many people because there are people in college hockey, I feel like the fan base is, you know, it's considerably older than other fan bases are, I feel. As much as you know, there are college students, they won't see your, you know, I'm writing a story about uh, Northern Michigan, for example. How do I get Northern Michigan people to see it and read it? Because they're not going to want to read something from someone who says, you know, Penn State class of 18 in their bio on their school because they come in with a thought that he doesn't really know what's going on. And I think I would agree with you that college hockey can have an older fan base. And it comes from, as I mentioned before, a lot of the schools where hockey's king. It's There are some schools with large alumni bases where the only sport that those alumni care about are hockey. I. Uh, you know, I know it from my end, which is one of the largest private schools anywhere. And it doesn't matter what Northeastern's basketball team, baseball team, no longer existent football team. It never mattered what they did for alumni. The first question out of every, every alumnus's mouth is, so when are they going to win the bean pot? And that's, that's for a lot of schools. And, you know, Northern Michigan would be one Michigan Tech's another um, Denver, certainly, and they're North Dakota as large as any of them where people who went there, they don't follow college football or basketball because their school's good at hockey or they're relevant in hockey in certain cases. So that's what they follow because that's the sport that their school is in and it's the landscape that they know and nothing else, you know, with the exception of the Big Ten and that's a new conference – Nothing else really makes sense if you're a college hockey fan. You're looking at another college sport. The entire landscapes are different. Yeah, you see that too. Uh, you mentioned with the Big Ten being different. The exact opposite in the Big Ten. You know, uh, like I know firsthand from being at Penn State, this would have been the perfect year for college hockey to really blow up in state college. But the football team made it to the Rose Bowl. And so, you know, obviously – that's what people are going to care about now. And to their credit, like the football team has helped to push, you know, college hockey on the Twitter and fake graphics up in the stadium when the uh, when the hockey team won the Big Ten tournament. So 
but it's so tough when there isn't a void to fill to try and make your way into it. Right. And with Penn State, they have that football team has decades and decades of tradition behind it in history. So there are people who went to Penn State whose fathers went to Penn State and who've been hearing stories about players they've never heard of outside of those stories of Penn State from long ago. And Penn State hockey's five years old. So it's kind of going to have to build its own thing. But it's great to see their football program really pitching their hockey program because Penn State's football program for a long time had a reputation for trying to crush everything else on campus for the betterment of the football program. So it's good to see a new era in State College. And it really is a new era in State College. Yeah, it, 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 I believe it was like two years ago they started at totally or it was whenever Dean Strangton joined. So I'd say three years ago. They just totally redid the whole uh, promotional thing and they started branding it as one team. Whereas now you see like college hockey is maybe fourth long or so at Penn State behind football, women's volleyball is crazy that sounds, and wrestling, which uh, if you're not from like, you know, a Midwest school, wrestling is huge here. They fill up the, uh, the big arena on campus, like 15,000 seats. They fill it up twice a year for a wrestling meet. So it, it's just, they're all promoting each other, you know, when any, whenever anything happens. And I feel like that the other big schools, you know, your Ohio State and Michigan, they could take a page from that and really try and push everything forward. Right. Right. And that's, and that, of course, with Michigan, they have about as story to hockey history as anybody out there as well. So, so they have that going for them that helps tremendously. Um, they, they have those championships and, of course, we talk about new eras. They're approaching a new one as well with Red Berenson stepping down as their coach and they're moving on to to a new landscape in a in a relatively new conference that is still finding its way and now welcomes Notre Dame, which I think that will add to the unique feel of college hockey. Even the Big Ten's not quite the Big Ten in college hockey. They have to take on Notre Dame, who... Well, Notre Dame football will never join a conference, apparently. So that's that's a new one. Although there's longstanding rivalries with Michigan, of course, and for older older alumni with Ohio State as well. But that's that's from long ago. <laughs> they had that football rivalry, but in a way, it kind of rekindles those football rivalries that have kind of gone dormant for them as well. Um, well. I'd like to thank you both for coming on. Zach Green from Pucks and Recreation, Lacria from the Vermont Cynic and Vermont Hockey Blog. It's the middle of summer. I'm, I apologize to our listeners that it's been a while since we've done an episode. I will be back more often in the offseason. I have a couple of other offseason specials I'm planning at the moment. So ex- expect more from Puck University. Thank you both for coming on. Is there anything else you'd like to plug? Not that I can think of. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just put my Twitter in there. Um, follow Twitter. When it comes to college hockey season, I like to keep it active and, you know, putting out things about not necessarily just the Big Ten, but, you know, an interesting thing happens nationally college hockey. It's at ZGreen05. And for my, for my college hockey, for my college hockey tweeting, I usually just do it on the Vermont Hockey Blog Twitter account, which is at the VP Hockey Blog, um, where I blog about both, where I talk about both UVM men's and women's hockey, and then I'll also blab about other hockey elsewhere. Well, I hope you both have a wonderful summer, and I hope that everyone listening to this, like I said, is getting to do all the nothing they want. Well, that's all the topics Reddit had the patience to give us this week. If you sent in a question or a topic, I want to thank you personally for doing so and for giving us something fun to talk about and something cool to think about as the weather heats up. I'd also like to thank Zach Green from Pucks and Recreation for coming in to talk about Penn State and to talk about his own experience. I'd also like to thank Lacria of the Vermont Cynic and the Vermont Hockey Blog to come and talk about UVM and about Hockey East and about, well, following sports on Reddit. 
thank all of you for helping make this podcast possible. We'll be back throughout the offseason with a couple more offseason specials for you. Maybe a couple of interviews with some people who help make college hockey happen. During the offseason, you can always check out my thoughts on baseball, on golf, and on all sorts of other things. I have other podcasts as well. You can check those out through Stitcher. You can listen to us here at Puck University on iTunes and Stitcher and Blog Talk Radio, who I would like to thank for giving us this opportunity as our hosts. You can follow me on Twitter at Tim Wright Sports. Thanks for listening to Puck University. Keep your head up and your hits clean, everybody.